we have three kids. One of them will not do absolutely anything that is not her idea. Oh, I blew it already. So I said her. Anyway, I have two girls, so you don't know which one. But um, one of them is like, I, there is no possible way you will get her to do anything that is not her idea. So we'll be like walking downtown. This is a real example. We're walking downtown. She, we walk downtown a lot, so we, she knows the way to the park that she likes. And she's like, this is where we're going. We're going to the park. And we like take a detour of two blocks to get them ice cream. And she's losing her mind. No, no, the park's this way. Like, what are we doing? I'm like, we're going to go get ice cream. I don't want to. I want to go to the park. I was like, no, we're going to get ice cream on the way to the park. So much so that when we get to the ice cream place and buy her ice cream and like put it in front of her face, she will not eat it because she wanted to go to the park first. She loves ice cream, right? And then it's almost like this, and she's like, no, I want ice cream, I want to go to the park. And then we get to the park, and she realizes like all this stuff, and she's like still crying and still mad at you, but she will eat the ice cream now, right? She's like, okay. And it's just kind of like that, like everything we do, it's got to be her idea or we're, there's going to be problems, right? I, you probably don't any have, you have kids like that, but... <laughs> And what's truthful is we actually don't grow out of that, right? There's a lot of adults who are like, it's got to be my idea, or we're not doing it, or I'm not going to be happy with it, or I'm going to throw a stink about it when we go through it. And we're going to read people today who live like that. And there's actually a word for it and a warning against it in the scriptures that we're going to talk about as we get into it. So Exodus chapter 7 is where we're going to pick it up and... Uh, if you remember, last week, uh, we've been following Moses. God called Moses out of the desert back into Egypt. Uh, he said, I'm going to deliver my people. The Israelite people were slaves. It's been about 400 years of slavery that they've been under in the land of Egypt. Moses has now come back to Egypt. His first interaction with Pharaoh didn't go very well. Pharaoh was very angry. He said, who is Yahweh? Who's this God you're talking about? I don't think there is a Yahweh. I don't think he talked to you. And I'm going to turn up the heat on these slaves and make them work harder not let them go like you've asked me to. So not only is Pharaoh angry at Moses, but the Israelites are now angry at Moses because they're having to work harder. And then Moses, in turn, was angry at God because Moses is like, God, you haven't delivered your people at all. And so that's where we pick it up, Exodus chapter 7. God is continuing this conversation with Moses, who is very angry at him. And the Lord said to Moses, uh, and again, uh, reminder, when it says the Lord, and it's capitalized in your Bible, L-O-R-D, uh, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Yahweh, okay? So Yahweh said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. We have here a sentence that might be a little disturbing regarding God hardening Pharaoh's heart and then bringing judgment because of the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Okay, so we're going to talk about that 
a little bit. That phrase, hard heart, that's what I was just talking about earlier, that we don't do anything that's not our idea. Or if it's not our idea or we're not the initiator of the thought, we don't think it's valid or important or worth our time. And that's called a hard heart when we talk about it in the Bible. And here we have this interesting thing of God saying, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, if you're kind of justice-minded and you're like, wait, that's not fair. God's hardening Pharaoh's heart. And then God's going to bring judgment against Pharaoh for the hard heart that he has. We're going to talk about that in a second. But before that, I want to back up a little bit and let's dig into it. Maybe we should start here. What is a hard heart? What's a hard heart? It's kind of one of those things, you know it when you see it, but let's try and define it a little bit. Let's, let's press in a little bit. What's a hard heart? Maybe before we even get to what a hard heart is, maybe we should talk about what a heart is. Okay? Your heart, when the Bible talks about your heart, it's talking about the seat of your will. Your will, not your emotions. Lots of people think it's your emotions. It's not your emotions. The emotions usually follow the will, but not always. So the heart, in this sense, it's not the muscle in your chest pumping blood, but it's the word used to summarize and represent the will of a person, okay? So it's not, again, primarily an emotional thing. Emotions often follow the will, but there's often times where we feel bad about doing something, but we're going to do it anyway, right? So that's a case where our emotions don't follow our will. We're like, no, nah, I'm doing this thing. Yeah, I kind of feel bad that I'm stepping on your toes or you don't like it or that it's making me look bad in a way, but I'm doing the thing I want to do. That's following your heart as the world would describe it, right? So it's a function of your will, not just your emotions. And this happens in all of our lives, right? Where we desire something, we have a desire of our will. It's, it's, a, it's a pursuit of our will. And, and sometimes it's with our emotions very often, but sometimes it's not. So then a hard heart would be a will that is not submissive or a will that is not influenced or a will that is not swayed. A hard heart is a will that cannot and will not be changed. Not by reason, not by truth, not by compassion, not by emotion, and often not by the spirit of God. That's a hard heart. The example I just gave you is a great example. We have all done things we know we shouldn't do, right? Anybody in here done something you know you shouldn't do? Right? So that's that's an example of a hard heart. It's your will is not changed by knowing you shouldn't do it. I were like, I shouldn't do this, and I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> right? So truth has not affected our wills. That's a hard heart. When your will is not affected by the truth of what you should and shouldn't do, that's a hard heart. It goes even further. We have all done things not only that we know we shouldn't do, but also have felt bad about doing. Like, I know I shouldn't do this, and I'm going to feel bad for some of the consequences of it, but I'm going to do it anyway, right? So not only is truth not affecting our will, but the emotions are not affecting our will. We're like, no, nah, we'll keep going. It gets even worse. We have all done things we know are 100% wrong. Like, I know I shouldn't do this. I know it's wrong to do this. I'm going to do it anyway. So even morality and justice at some points, do not affect our will. That's a hard heart. It gets way worse than that, guys. We've all done something we know we shouldn't do. We know we're going to feel bad about doing. We know that it is wrong to do, 
And we had somebody, probably in authority, tell us not to do it. And not only that, but we knew they were right when they told us not to do it, and we did it anyway. Or maybe that's just me. No, it's not just me. We've all done that. So we all know what it's like to live with a hard heart. That's what it is. It's a heart, a will that is uninfluenced, unswayed, unpersuaded by emotion, by truth, by right and wrong morality, by justice, by authority, by what other people say, even by knowledge of what we know we should and shouldn't do, even by our own selves, we're like, I shouldn't do this, and guess what? I'm having a second piece of pie, right? Like, we, we just simply have hard hearts. It's the normal state of the human condition. So back to the text, we have a couple instances here where God says he will harden Pharaoh's heart. Now, I don't want to skip all the way over the book, but we actually have multiple instances where we also see Pharaoh hardening his own heart. Okay, so as we read through this, there's chapter 8, there's chapter 7, there's a couple instances where we're going to read Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So God is hardening Pharaoh's heart in this instance, but he's not doing anything that Pharaoh hasn't done himself already. Okay, because you're thinking of this and you're like, why would God harden Pharaoh's heart? Why would he make Pharaoh's will like not like subject to submissive or being swayed by truth or morality? Isn't free will left up into each individual? Shouldn't Pharaoh be able to choose whether or not he has a hard heart? Why would God harden his heart? Well, it would appear that both Pharaoh and God are active in hardening Pharaoh's heart. And so if Pharaoh is actively hardening his own heart, then God is not doing anything that Pharaoh has not chosen for himself already. If Pharaoh chooses to harden his heart and then God further hardens his heart and allows the consequences of a hard heart to reveal God's power, then this is a great example of God working all things for good. Right? A guy chooses or a woman chooses to harden their heart against God. God says, okay, I'm going to let you stay there with a hard heart so that the consequences that come upon me reveal my truth and goodness. That, that's very often how God uses all things for the good of those who love him. Don't forget this either. Okay, before you feel terrible about Pharaoh, like, well, that's not fair that God hardened his heart and then judged him. Pharaoh has been a terrible leader of a nation that has done awful things. This nation has enslaved the Israelite people for the last 400 years, the last 80 of which we have read they have openly murdered Israelite infant boys with no problem. So this is a man who's leading a country that's like, yeah, if it's an Israelite infant, go ahead and chuck him in the river. That's no problem, okay? Not only is this a country that is completely desensitized to the idea of slavery and bondage and oppression, but murder is now perfectly okay and commonplace and normalized in their society. So Pharaoh is the leader of this country, and it's not a great country. And the fact that the fact is actually that this man and this country deserve incalculable consequences for their actions. So when the judgment comes upon Pharaoh, uh, you shouldn't be like, oh, poor Pharaoh, God hardened his heart and then judged him. That's, that's not actually what's happening here. The fact that Pharaoh finds himself in this situation and God hardens his heart tells me there was no sorrow or humility or contrition or confession coming from the heart of Pharaoh. 
because we know Yahweh is a merciful and loving God. Okay, we've read it over and over. If you go through your scripture, there is time after time after time after time after time where somebody hears the word of God, repents, or is brokenhearted, or is contrite, and then God's like, okay, I'll have mercy on you. Right, the study of Jonah, if you go through that, Jonah's like, we're gonna go to the Ninevites, and Jonah's like, nah, I'm not going, they're mean people. They hear the word of God, they repent, and then Jonah gets mad at God. He's like, I knew you were gonna forgive them, you're so dang nice. Right? There's other instances in the scriptures. King David, when the prophet Nathan comes to him, is like, hey, you're a murderer. David's like, you're right. I've done an awful thing before the Lord. And God has mercy on King David. So the fact that God does not have mercy on Pharaoh tells me there was not even a hint of contrition in his life. There was not even a hint of soft-heartedness in his life. Otherwise, God would have taken that opportunity to be kind and gracious and merciful like he always is. I also think of this because this idea that like, well, God hardened Pharaoh's heart and then God judged Pharaoh. That's very, that's like a, a, a thing that people who are critics of the Bible bring up. Right? If they're looking for reasons to discredit the Bible or say, like, see, this doesn't make sense, or see, God is angry, or see, God is unjust, or see, God is very mean and bloodthirsty in the Old Testament. Well, let's just say the complete opposite was in here. What if, it, what if we changed this, for this, this idea that God hardened Pharaoh's heart and then judged Pharaoh? What if it was the opposite? God let Pharaoh off the hook. Would those critics then be silent? No, they'd be like, are you kidding me? You let a baby murder just skip down and slide? Right? So the critics would always find some reason to be angry. If it was the complete opposite of this, they'd be like, wait, this guy gets to run a country that enslaves people for 400 years and then murder babies for 80 years and we're just going to let him go? Like, that wouldn't be right either. So the critics actually have just as much. It probably says more about the heart of the critics uh, than it does of the truth of God's word, right? If they would have a problem with the exact opposite wording or phrasing in the thing. But here's what I think is way more valuable than actually that debate over uh, God hardening Pharaoh's heart or not. Look at the sneaky destructiveness of this condition called a hard heart. Actually, if we backed up a little bit and I said, if I were to ask you, what are the things that you should be worried about ruining your life? What would you say? It, yeah, if, if it was like, if you were like making a list for your kids, right? And you're like, hey kids, you need to watch out for bad friends. You need to watch out for sin and its consequences. Like, hey, drugs are bad. Hey, alcohol is bad. Hey, don't be a drunk driver because you could kill yourself or worse, others, right? Hey, don't be like, these things are addictive. Hey, sexual sin, like there's, that's a roller coaster, man. You're on the downhill slope. Don't start that because it's hard to stop, right? There's all these things that we think about in our life. Like we know that could ruin your life. But the Bible says the hard heart is the most dangerous thing that you can do to yourself and the most likely thing to destroy your life. Let me say that again. The Bible says that a hard heart is the most dangerous thing you could do to yourself and the most likely thing to destroy your life. And, and here's what's sneaky about a hard heart. A hard heart is an equal opportunity employer. 
right? A hard heart does not play favorites, right? A hard heart can show up anywhere. Nice people, mean people, kind people, angry people, old people, young people, men, women, single, married, rich, poor. All the colors that people come in, all the stages of life and temperaments, hard hearts do not care, right? Hard-heartedness is not picky, and it will and has taken root in every kind of person from every possible walk of life, right? Hard heart is not, like, it's not something like, oh, my kind of person doesn't struggle with a hard heart. False. There's a lot of religious people with really hard hearts. There's a lot of people in churches with really hard hearts. There's a lot of people outside of churches with really hard hearts. We tend to think of hard-heartedness as like this arrogant, macho, leader of a nation kind of a thing. Like, I've seen it in sweet old 80-year-old women, right? I've seen hardness of heart in people who commit sin and hardness of heart in people who are victims of sin. Okay, Republicans, Democrats, in fact, our entire political system, it's almost like we're trying to outdo one another in hardness of heart. Like, nah, we're harder in our hearts than you are in your hearts. Like, and, like, and we do this thing where we think we can accomplish the work of God by having a hard heart. Like we think God needs our hardness of heart to get his work done. It, it's, the more you... Th- process this, man, our, our capability of self-deception as humans is like off the charts. It's crazy. It, let me say it again so I can be as clear as I can. A hard heart is the thing that keeps men and women from God. The, the thing between you and receiving what God has for you is always going to be the starting place is always going to be a hard heart, okay? You can be a Christian, you can go to church, you can love your family, you could try and be a good person, people can really like you, and you could still have a hard heart and be very far from God of your own choosing. Now, some of you are like, wait a second, you're telling me a hard heart is the thing that's keeping me from God? Isn't it sin? Uh, Jesus did this awesome thing, and he erased the sin that we've committed. He erased the consequences of sin. Sin is not the thing that keeps us from God. The difference between people who know Yahweh and the people who do not is not that some people sin less. Somebody say amen, that's really good, okay? The people who are close to God and the people who are not, the difference is not that these are better people over here who make better choices and do less bad things. That's not true. We all do wrong things. It's the softness of their hearts, the willingness to respond to the conviction of the Spirit of God by changing your mind and then changing your life. That's the dividing line for humanity. So so what do you do if you have a hard heart? What should Pharaoh have done in this instance? Well, actually, let me say this first. Two things I'll point out before we talk about what we should do if we have a hard heart. Knowing you have a hard heart is not the same thing as having a soft heart. Because some of you are like, yep, I got a hard heart. I'm glad you know that about yourself. That doesn't mean you fixed it, okay? Admitting you have a hard heart does not mean you have a soft heart. There's lots of people out there who chuckle about their stubbornness and wear their hardness of heart as some sort of a badge of honor, 
I'm stubborn, man. <laughs> you know me. It's actually really sad. Go back to the scenario we were talking about earlier. Emotion, right or wrong, morality, whether or not it's good for me, what other people say, people I know are right and tell me not to do it, none of that phases me, man. I'll do what I want. That's a badge of honor? I actually have read a book recently that says so much of what's wrong with the American form of discipleship is that we are completely indifferent to people with hard hearts and actually have promoted and celebrated leaders within the church because of their hard-heartedness. Like, so the world looks on and they're like, uh, you guys are celebrating this guy? He's got like the hardest freaking heart we've ever seen. Yep, but he goes to church a lot. Oh, okay, right? So second thing, I don't have a hard heart is the kind of thing a person with a hard heart would say. It's not me. Uh, sounds like something somebody would say that has a hard heart. So if I don't want to have a hard heart, where do I begin? If I don't want to be Pharaoh, where my heart is heart and God is further hardening my heart in the consequences of my life, where do I start? Well, here's, here's where I'd start. Hard hearts don't pray to be soft. So the prayer, Lord, give me a soft heart and reveal where my heart would be hard, that's a great place to start, right? Hard hearts are not asking the Lord to reveal their hardness or please soften my heart. Last thing I'll say about this before we learn from Pharaoh. The problem is when you start hardening your heart, and Pharaoh is learning this real time in our story. You don't get to choose when that stops. You get to choose when you make your heart hard. You don't necessarily get to choose, if ever, when it becomes soft again. Now, we think that we're like, it's called consequences, right? We think, right, I'll make my heart hard, and then when I want it to be soft, I'll make it soft. So we make our heart hard. And then we go like, I want it to be soft. And we're like, oh, it's really hard to go back, right? We assume because it was easy to make our hearts hard that it would be easy also to make them soft when we wanted to make them soft. But that's not the way sin works. Sin's like, yeah, it's a two-way switch. Wait, I can't switch it back off. What happened? Like sin's like, I lied, right? It's deceptive, right? We have in our pride that we could switch it on and off. You can't switch it on and off. You switch it to hard, and then you realize you can't go back to soft like you thought you could. You might not be able to turn it off when you want to turn it off. Later on in the book of your Bible called Hebrews, it will say, it will say to Christians, to followers of Jesus, it will say, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because every habit is a hard habit to break, but hardening your heart is an especially hard habit to break. One of the most ridiculous lies that we believe is that it will be easier sometime in the future to soften our hearts. 
Like we, we make up this like mythical time and place and set of circumstances in our future where it'll actually be easier for me to soften my heart and it'll be easier for me to be obedient to God and it'll be easier for me to listen to the conviction of the spirit and it'll be easier for me to do the right thing. Can I tell you that day is never coming. That place you've made up in your mind does not exist where it's easier for you to live with a soft heart. That's why Hebrews doesn't say, hey, when you get around to it, don't harden your heart. No, it says today. Because the truth is, if you choose a hard heart today, then it will be harder to have a soft heart tomorrow. Every time. Choosing of a hard heart today will make tomorrow more difficult. Every single time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not do not harden your heart. Okay, now this is where it gets a little bit crazy. Look at the next part, verse five. God is finishing his, his talk to Moses here. He says, I'm gonna harden Pharaoh's heart, then I'm gonna bring judgment, and after I bring judgment, verse five, the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Think about that for a second. God says, in watching my dealing with the hard heart of Pharaoh and bringing my people out, the Egyptians will know I am Yahweh. Now, some of you weren't here last week. You're like, oh, what does that mean? Yahweh was tied to God's good, kind, loving, covenant-keeping, gracious nature. Right? So he told Moses, he's like, I'm Yahweh, that's my name, I want you to know my name because this is the kind of God I am. I'm Yahweh, the God who's good, kind, loving, covenant keeping, not like other gods, I'm Yahweh and that's who I am. So when he says this, he says, when I bring my people out and I judge the Egyptians, the Egyptians are going to know covenant, kind, loving, Yahweh did this. Is that weird? Is it possible to judge somebody and at the end of it, they know that you're loving, kind, good, and covenant-keeping and gracious? That's what God seems to be saying here. It's a little bit weird. But the critics of the Bible do not want you to believe this. Right? The critics of the Bible are like, oh, people in the Old Testament, they experience God as angry and unjust and unforgiving. And he was just like smiting people right and left. And he was like, die, 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 die. Right? That's what the critics of the Bible want you to believe. But that's not what God says was happening. God says, after this takes place, the Egyptians are going to know me as Yahweh, the kind, good, merciful, covenant-keeping God. It's entirely possible that there are some soft-hearted Egyptians who are ashamed at the state of their nation and think Yahweh should judge us. Yahweh should condemn our murdering of infants. Yahweh should condemn our slavery of his people. Yahweh should judge our leader because he's continuing to allow laws that murder babies. It's entirely possible that there's a lot of people in the nation of Egypt who are like, hey, we're not okay with this. When Yahweh judges us, it will be because of his kindness towards the babies that are being murdered. Because of his covenant keeping and love for justice that he's allowing Egypt to be judged in this way. So here's a lesson for us. You do what God is calling you to do with a soft heart and you let God worry about how others experience him. Amen. 
Because sometimes we do this thing where like, we want people to think something about God so that we're cooler or better. Like, I don't want you to think badly about God because I'm associated with God. I'm a Christian. And so if you think God's cool, then you'll think I'm cool. And we worry very much about what other people think about God. You let God worry about what other people think about him. You have a soft heart. You have a soft heart to what he's calling you to do. And then this guy named the Holy Spirit, who's great at his job, by the way, will worry about what other people think about him. Verse 6. I got, I'm running out of time. Sorry. So Moses and Aaron did so. And they did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now, let this sink in for a second. Moses is 80. He's going to die when he's 120. So two-thirds of Moses' life has passed before the thing he would be known for for all history even started. I've said this before. I'm going to point it out again because the Bible points it out again. This would be like Moses living in America with the current average life expectancy and beginning the thing that he was made to do at 52 years old. Now, translate that into American culture. If you don't know what your life is about by 52, everyone in this room would call you a failure. We're like, if you don't know by the time you're 11, what are you doing, right? <laughs> right? We got high schoolers feeling this pressure, like you got to figure out what your life's going to be about so you can get into the college you want to get into and take the major you want to take in and know what you're going to do with the rest of your life. You're like 18. I still have a bunch of pimples. Now I got to know what my life's about. And yet Moses didn't even know if we do the math, right? He'd be like a 51-year-old guy that doesn't own anything. He's just living in the desert going like, I don't know what God's going to do with me. And by every metric, people in our culture would be like, that guy is a failure. Please do not hear two-thirds of Moses' life had passed, and then it got better and easier and more comfortable. Because that's not what I just said. I said two-thirds of Moses' life had passed before he stepped into the thing that God had actually called him to do. It actually didn't get easier or more comfortable. I remember that thing I said earlier about this mythical idea of someday in the future, it's going to be easier to live with the soft heart. It became way harder. Moses was out in the desert by himself with sheep. Right? Like that was way easier than what he's about to embark on. Like there's going to be grumbling and complaining and anger and judgment and threats and risk and discomfort, like all over the map, right? So he didn't step into something at 52 years old and be like, oh man, this is way easier. What was I doing with my life? Right? It's almost like the exact opposite of the American dream. The American dream would tell you that if you do it right, by the time you get to be 52, you're almost across the finish line. And then you could spend the rest of your life doing nothing that matters. Right? You could take all the responsibility off your plate and you could just pursue comfort and convenience until you kick it. Exact opposite of the life we see Moses leading. So we end this section with this. A successful, powerful leader who does not agree with God... And we also end this section with an old, nondescript shepherd who also does not agree with God. Both of them are not big fans of the way God is doing what he's doing at this moment. So how do we separate the two? What's the difference? Hard heart, soft heart. 
That's the difference. Pharaoh's like, are you kidding me, God? Moses is like, are you kidding me, God? But when God speaks to Moses, Moses' heart changes. And when God speaks to Pharaoh, it does not. It's not swayed. Right? Now, now, don't hear me on this when I say hard heart and you're thinking like arrogant, macho, leader of a nation kind of area. Like, I'm not doing what you're saying. Hard heartedness can take a very kind, giggly, fun, yeah, I'm not doing that. Right? It can be non-confrontational hard heartedness. Right? That's actually where most of us live. Right? Like, hey, this is what the Bible says. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Love you guys. See you next week. This is what the Bible says about priorities. Yeah, I don't care. Love you guys. Give me a hug. Right? Hey, hey, this is what the Bible says about money. Yep, no way. Praise Jesus. It doesn't have to be angry, confrontational, hard heart. I had somebody, they were walking by the street. They see our, our sign and stuff like that. I'm, this is my last story and then I'll be done. I'm sorry I'm late. They were walking by the street and they said, they said, hey, we have this particular uh, gender identity, sexual ethic thing going on in our lives. Are we welcome at your church? I was like, yeah, you're welcome at our church. I was like, why would you not be welcome at our church? Come on into our church. We believe this about the biblical sex ethic and morality, but yeah, you're welcome. You're going to walk in. We're going to give you a hug. We're going to be like, we're glad God brought you here. And they're like, well, we just were worried about coming to a church that we have disagreements with. Here's the secret. There's 100 people at this church every week who are not going to do what I'm going to say. Right? Like, it's not like you're the only ones walking in that are like not planning on doing what God's word says. That happens every week. People come in, they're like, hard-heartedness, not me. We're good. Love you guys, right? So this, like I said, this is not like an outside the church problem or inside the church problem, right? It's an everybody thing, right? It's a Christian and non-Christian thing. Christians struggle with hardness of heart just as much as non-Christians. That's why it's in the Bible so often. Oh, I'm going to finish there. The difference between Pharaoh and Moses as we finish this section is not good guy, bad guy, right guy, wrong guy, not did a lot for God, didn't do enough for God, none of that. It's hard heart, soft heart. That's the difference between the two. And Moses is going to surrender his will, and Pharaoh is not. And we're going to see how that plays out. Let's pray. Worship team, you can come on up. Father, I thank you for this morning and for uh, your words and how it uh, encourages us um, to do the things that lead to life. And that's not always comfortable, Lord. Um, doesn't always feel good to be told by the Spirit of God that you have a hard heart. But we are the types of people who pray for soft hearts. We are the types of people who pray that you would reveal where hardness of heart has taken root, where we are not open to being surrendered or swayed or influenced um, by morality or justice or by what your conviction is. And Lord, I'm not naive enough to think that we don't have that problem. So churches, we just 
sit here and pray, I'm going to invite you to pray that prayer. Spend maybe 30, 60 seconds. Just pray on your own. Pray, Lord, do I have a hard heart? And if I do, where is it? Show me that, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to give us the kindness of showing us where our hearts are hard, that we would not resist your will in our lives, Lord. Lord, may we be a people who are growing in softness of heart as we seek to follow you. We ask you your name.